Well, God bless you. Welcome to the Wonderful Words of Life radio program. We are in Revelation chapter 6 and 7 in this session, and we're looking forward to a wonderful study in the Word of God. So we'll go ahead and pray and get started, get right into the Word of God. Father, we bless you today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for revealing to us the things that will come to pass, and we give you thanks for it. Now, Lord, enlighten us both in the speaking and in the hearing of the Word of God, and we'll give you thanks for it, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. I've entitled this section, The Seven-Sealed Scroll, and we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 6 and 7, which is uh, these chapters begin to set the stage for the, the absolute, the greatest end-time event that will culminate in the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, we're going to go right into the word, Revelation chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, come and see. Now, in chapter 5, uh, God the Father, who is sitting on the throne, has a seven-sealed scroll, and the Lamb appears before the throne. The Father hands this scroll to the Lamb and transferring the authority and the power of everything that's going to transpire through the rest of the book of Revelation. So when the Lamb opened one of the seals, then uh, one of the beasts says to John, come and see. And what John saw was this. In verse 2, I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. This is interesting because Roman generals, they would always ride upon a white horse, and this was uh, the sign of valentry. It was also a sign of position. And the fact that this white horsed rider had a bow speaks to us of warfare or the threat of warfare. And how do we know this? Well, the crown that is upon his head is a victor's crown. And a victor's crown was given to those who were victorious in battle or in competition. And, of course, we know uh, from the writings of Daniel, Daniel chapter 8, who this white horse rider is. He's the king of fierce countenance. And also, uh, Paul mentions uh, the Antichrist in his second letter to the Thessalonians, and he describes him as a man of sin, uh, uh, a son of perdition who opposes and exalts all things that are called God or that is worship or the worship of God. So uh, this is exactly the nature of this white horse rider who is uh, the Antichrist. Now, uh, uh, Revelation chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse, which was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. So the second beast, he commands, this is a command, this is an imperative, Come and see. And so uh, when the second seal is open, John sees a red horse, which is a symbol of warfare. And it's really interesting to note that as we go through the book of Revelation, we're going to see how many figures uh, are red in color, which, you know, red symbolizes blood or it symbolizes warfare. And notice that power was given to him. 
and to take peace from the earth and that men should kill one another. And this rider was given a great sword and this sword symbolizes conflict. It symbolizes loss of life. Uh, and this great sword speaks to us to the fact that this war is going to be a global war. I mean, it's going to take place uh, throughout the world. And so um, Paul tells us about this uh, in First Thessalonians chapter five, verses two and three. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in a knife, uh, uh, a thief in the night. And when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child and they shall not escape. Now, the third seal in Revelation chapters, uh, chapter six, uh, verses five and six. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, come and see. And I beheld and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. So this is following warfare, which is famine. Now, a penny was an average worker's daily wage in the time of John. And a measure speaks to us of a quart of flour. So it takes a measure of flour almost to make a single loaf of bread. So we have to think now, how much would a denarius then be worth today? Well, two dollars. In other words, a single man working all day for two dollars would spend an entire day's wage to buy one loaf of bread. And of course, this loaf would be enough for a single meal, not not all day, just a single meal for one person. And if he purchased three barley three measures of barley, he would have enough, you know, create three barley loaves to feed him for a single day. But what if this man was married? So you can see right here that he would not all working all day. He would not make enough money to support himself, his wife and his children. So this is describing how famine will be on the heels of war. And then Jeremiah, he write, in writing in the book of Lamentation, describes what he saw with the destruction of, of, uh, of Jerusalem. And he describes an individual. Now, this is, notice what he, what he writes. Uh, the, their visage is blacker than coal. They are not known in the streets. Their skin cleaves to their bones. It is withered. It has become like a stick. They that be slain with the sword are better than they which be slain with hunger. For these pine away, stricken through for want of the fruits of the field. So we're looking at a worldwide famine and we're looking at the fact that even though people are going to be able to work, uh, their wage will not be enough with the, the price of inflation will not be enough uh, to feed their family and to keep them from starving. All right. Now, verses six and seven, the fourth seal. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, come and see. And I looked and behold, a pale horse and his name that sat on him was death and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. So now the opening of the fourth seal is the culmination of the first three, you know, world dominance by the Antichrist war, famine, and now death. 
And notice this horse is pale in color, which is a color associated with death. And this rider is called death and hell, which is the Greek word Hades. And this word is used 10 times and it's always used as a place of departed souls. It's only used one time as the grave. And notice that hell is following this rider. And notice also that this rider kills one fourth of the human population with sword, with hunger, with beasts of the earth. Notice the culmination of the first three seals. Now, if today's population, we'll say, is 8 billion people, that means that 2 billion people will die as a result of these horsemen being released into the world. So the devastating results of these fourth four horsemen, it's a foreview of what the world is going to be plunged into after the church is raptured and we enter into the great tribulation period. Now, the fifth seal, this is in verses 9 through 11. John saw, uh, let me go ahead and read the verse. Uh, and when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So this is what John sees. He sees the souls of them who were slain for the word of God because of their testimony, which they held. So these what these are, these are the martyred dead slain during the great tribulation and they're slain because of their witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. So those who are in, in domination and in dominating in the world, they're going to hate Christ, they're going to hate the church, and they're going to hate these who are the witnesses uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice now, these souls are crying out for vengeance. And they say, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And so these are the martyr dead and they're crying out. But they're, now they're crying out from under the altar and the under the altar. That was the place where the blood was poured of from the temple sacrifices in the Old Testament. So that's very significant. And so every one of these martyr dead, they were given white robes and they were told to rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants should be killed as they were. So this tells me that this martyr dead will not be filled up until the end of the great tribulation. And we'll see that as we move on into the second chapter. Now, Revelation 6, verses 12 through 17, this is the sixth seal. And I beheld when I had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casts her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. <clears throat> and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains 
and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of his wrath has come and who should be able to stand. So we're looking here and the sixth seal is broken by the lamb of God. And we see these cataclysmic events appear. A great earthquake, the sun becoming black as sackcloth of hair, the moon becoming as blood, and the stars of heaven falling under the earth, even as a fig tree casts her untimely figs when she's shaken of a mighty wind. And we see the heaven depart as a scroll when it is rolled together. And we see every mountain and every island moved out of their places. So this is what the environmental extremists keep telling us is going to happen to the earth. Well, we see the fulfillment of it right here. But it's not due to uh, the fault of man. This is God's judgment that he's pouring out upon uh, this earth and upon those upon the earth who uh, have rejected and rebelled against the lordship of Jesus Christ. So what we see here in the breaking of the first five seals, uh, we see man's inhumanity to man, man killing man. But in the opening of the sixth seal, what we see is God's divine judgment that comes upon the earth because of the the rejection of Jesus Christ. So uh, and as a result of the earth's upheaval, it says that the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich man, the chief captains, the mighty men, every bondman, every free man, they attempt to hide themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. And they're crying out to the mountains and rocks to fall upon them. And in other words, <clears throat> to hide them uh, from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for great for the great day of his wrath is come. And who shall be able to stand? Now, isn't that interesting? These are uh, kings and mighty men who are not born again who are in opposition to the king on the throne and unto the lamb. And uh, they, they're attempting to escape death. They're attempting to escape the vengeance of God and the lamb. But where are they going to escape to? There's no place to go. Amen. The only escape is for them to bow their knees to the Lord Jesus Christ and to repent and to surrender to him and accept him as Lord and Savior. But notice they're not doing that. Now, Amos says this in his writings in chapter five, verses 18 through 20. Notice what he says about this time. Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light, as if a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him or went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall and a servant bit him. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light? even very dark and no brightness in it at all. This is the time that Amos is prophesying about. So while the church is enjoying its marriage celebration with the Lord in heaven, the world below will be suffering untold misery and death. And most of those who have missed the rapture and then turn wholeheartedly to Christ as their Savior uh, they're going to suffer martyrdom as the ultimate sacrifice for their faith in him to in order to get through the great tribulation. So chapter six. Now, it's a summary of the important events that are going to take place through 
of the great tribulation. All right, now let's come to chapter 7. Now, chapter 7 is a parenthetical chapter, and a parenthetical chapter, what it does is it creates a a temporary halt in the chronological narrative of the book in order to reveal details that the Lord wants John to know so that he can communicate to us. And chapter 7 is going to reveal to us two groups of people, two separate groups of people. All right, now, verse 1. Revelation chapter 7. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four quarters of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God. Notice that the servants of our God in their foreheads. So John sees four angels standing on the four corners of the earth and they are prohibiting the wind from blowing on it. And so there's silence. Notice that there's always silence before a storm. Now, before this storm breaks, uh, there is an angel up here and this angel he has the, the, uh, the seal of the living God, and he proclaims with a loud voice, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. So God is coming down, the angel's coming down, and he's going to seal these 144,000. Amen. He's going to seal this group of, of men, Jewish men. And, of course, to, to seal, to place a seal, it means to place a mark or a stamp on an individual or a group uh, for uh, and separate them for God's purpose to protect them. Amen. All right. Now, beginning in verse four. And I heard the number of them that were sealed and they were sealed in hundred and forty four thousand. All the tribes of the children of Israel of the tribe of Judah, twelve thousand of the tribe of Reuben, twelve thousand of the tribe of Gad, twelve thousand of the tribe of Asher, twelve thousand of the tribe of Naphtali. 12,000 of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 and the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 and the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. So these servants who are sealed, they represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Amen. And notice that notice the Jewish accent that is upon this time after uh, the uh, or the beginning rather of Revelation chapter six. And it's also worthy to note that one hundred and forty four thousand is a perfect number. Twelve thousand times twelve thousand. And the number twelve in Bible numerology is the number of government. God ordained government. And that's that's interesting to note. All right, verses 9 and 10. After this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb. So the next spectacle that John sees is this great multitude. And it's a multitude that no man could number. It was a multitude without count out of all nations. Notice it, all nations, kindreds, people, and tongues. 
And now they're standing before the throne of God and before the Lamb in heaven. And so here's a multitude beyond count, but now they're clothed with white robes. And white robes always speaks to us of the righteousness of God. And they had palms in their hands. Now, palm branches in the hands is a symbol of uh, victory, and it's a symbol of great joy. Remember that uh, the, the people that thronged Jesus when he entered into Jerusalem at the beginning of Passion Week, that uh, they welcomed and thronged the Lord Jesus. They were holding palm branches and they were shaking palm branches, welcoming him, amen, who is the Messiah. And so this is a token of victory. It is a token of uh, victory over an enemy. It's a, a token of welcoming to uh, that uh, general or the army that was victorious uh, over an enemy. So it is a, a sign of victory and it is a sign of joy. Amen. All right. Verses 11 tell. So this great multitude, they have overcome something. And uh, now verse 11, and all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. So after the declaration of the multitude giving glory to the Lord, notice the angels, amen, which stood around the throne and the 24 elders and the, uh, and the four beasts, they all fall down before the throne of God upon their faces and they begin to worship God. And they say, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Now notice a sevenfold blessing. Seven to God is the number of perfection. All right, now verses 13 and 14. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said to him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So here John is, he's standing amazed at what he was viewing. And one of the 24 elders approaches him and asks John if he knew who these were who were robed in white. And John couldn't answer, but he said, Sir, you know. And the elder said to John, These are they which came out of great tribulation. We could say the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. So the elder John uh, declares to John that this great multitude, they're redeemed out of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues. Notice, both of these groups are redeemed from men. Now, the literal Greek, when, when, uh, when uh, John records come out of great tribulation, the literal Greek actually states tribulation the great. So we could call it the, the great tribulation and not be off. So now these tribulation saints are said to have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Well, why have they washed their robes? Well, it's because they have given the great sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice. Now, John later writes of these in Revelation 12, verses 10 and 11. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. 
Now notice the, the declaration of the, of the this uh, tribulation saints is similar to that and which I just read out of Revelation chapter 12. So these are the tribulation saints and they're robed in right and their reward for their ultimate sacrifice is eternal life. And that's what they did. These are martyrs for the Lord. All right, now verses 15 and through 17. Therefore, still talking about this tribulation saints, therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sits on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. For the lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. So the elder explains to John that this great multitude of tribulation saints that are in heaven before the throne. Now, remember, we we looked in chapter five at the raptured church that was also before the throne. So now these are included. Now, this uh, parenthetical chapter uh, describes this heavenly scene of 144,000 who are on earth and the great multitude of tribulation saints in heaven. So we have a picture of that which is at the beginning of the, of the tribu great tribulation and of that which is at the end. Amen. So uh, this is very important because what we're seeing here is we're seeing that in the very midst of the tribulation period when the Antichrist is supposed to have full control and uh, ruling over the entire world, how the gospel is being preached and many, many multitudes are getting saved as a result. And these that are getting saved know that uh, they're going to pay the ultimate sacrifice and are perfectly willing to do that because they know that uh, that in order to give their life means that they're going to inherit eternal life. So it's profound to contemplate. You know, we have this idea that in the book of Revelation, the Antichrist is going to run the whole show. Well, uh, he's going to be in control, but he's not running the show. <laughs> I'll tell you exactly who's running it. And that's God on the throne and the Lamb of God. Praise God. Amen. And so, no, this is not a different salvation economy. I want to quote something that John Walvoord in his book on Revelation states. Notice what, he's, what he writes. The blood of the Lamb is the assurance of cleansing and forgiveness of these who have been martyred for their faith in Christ. Even their own sacrificial death could not atone for their sins. They, like all the others, must rest alone in that sacrifice which Christ provided for them. What is true for them is true for all the saints of all ages. Only the blood of Christ avails to wash away sin. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. And so we're going to end this session here. But I want to say to you, if you're listening to this broadcast and you've never made Jesus Christ Savior and Lord, what I have just described to you, if you miss the rapture, this is what is going to have to happen to you in order for you to get into heaven. You're going to have to give your life. Why not give your life now? Why not give your life now? Hallelujah. Amen. And instead of waiting until after uh, the rapture of the church and you have to live through the, the, uh, the seven year tribulation period, you may not make it, but you can make it now. All you have to do is bow your heart before the Lord. 
Repent of sin and ask Christ to come into your heart and life and pray that sincere prayer from your heart. And God will hear your prayer and he'll answer your prayer and you will become a born again child of God. Father, I thank you for this teaching today. I thank you for the revelation of it. Bless it, Father, to every ear that hears this message. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc86 at gmail.com. We will be glad to answer your questions promptly and provide you at your request with materials that will help you to grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Patsy Dunning. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. And let me remind you to tune in to this station at the same time next week to hear more of the wonderful words of life. God bless you and remember what Jesus said. It is the Spirit who gives life.